Fantastic. It is such a privilege to be here with you guys this morning and sharing with you. Um, Before we start, I want to invite you to engage in an age-old narrative. What I mean by that is I want you to see yourselves as actively getting involved in a battle that has been going on from the beginning of time. Uh, This is the battle of light over dark. Um, And I think this morning, whether you follow Jesus, whether you would say that you don't, you're not sure, I think there's something inbuilt into humans that recognises this battle to an extent. Um, So for example, if you look at film plots, novel plots, EastEnders, there's always this battle going on of light over dark. And what light is may look different. It might be love, it might be justice, it might be hope. But this battle is always something against something else, which is, I guess, trying to oppress it and light winds out and it's lovely. Uh, But this morning, I want us to engage in that a little bit. As we look at when Jesus claims, I am the light of the world. And as I said before, I think whether you uh, would say you're a follower of Jesus or not, uh, light and dark is almost something, I think, that is inbuilt in humans to recognise. Now, what necessarily people... uh, on their, I guess, ethical spectrum. See as light and see as dark can differ. But there's real obvious darks, sort of obvious things that are dark in our world. Stuff that we look at and go, do you know what? I just, just don't think that's right. So for example, um, one in four women and one in six men uh, have suffered from uh, domestic abuse of some sort. That just under a third of children in the UK live in poverty, uh, even though 63% of those children have somebody working in their family. Uh, The fact that uh, overseas, uh, it it can be that a woman will have to walk a day to go and get water to provide for her family. The water may make her family ill, but if she's pregnant, the stress of having to do that can cause her to miscarry the child. That actually water can cost a life and yet we could all leave this room right now, go sit in our baths at home, conjure up litres of the stuff and just sit in it because we can. There's stuff in our world that we look at that I think is an obvious dark situation. And, uh, and there's a part of humanity that says something's not right about that. But I think there's another kind of darkness as well, which I guess I want to challenge you guys on a little bit this morning as my, my first kind of entry into this. And that is subtle darkness that is in our lives. And I think as I've thought about this, as I've prayed about this, I guess I'm coming to the conclusion that the subtle darkness can actually be a lot more dangerous than the obvious darknesses because it's often the untreated, unaddressed, subtle darkness in our lives that end in this obvious darkness in the world. When I talk about subtle darkness, uh, I mean things like addiction to pornography, um, kind of this secret that maybe you certainly wouldn't go up to anyone else and want to talk about it. You wouldn't maybe want to sit down and have a chat, get it printed on a t-shirt, stuff that goes on in our lives that we're not prepared to share with other people, but it affects us. Um, that as we watch more and more pornography, you become... Um, it's like any addiction, you become more and more comfortable with what you watch, then you have to up the ante to kind of get the same pleasure from it. As you do that, it begins to affect the relationships that you're in. It could be addiction to substances. Uh, it could be that you 
kind of end up in a situation where you realise you can't cope without a glass of wine. Uh, It might be uh, an addiction to shopping. It could be consumerism. The fact that we're willing to pay hundreds of pounds to replace some electronic equipment where there was nothing wrong with the old one. It might be unforgiveness that you know that when a certain name is mentioned, you feel differently inside. You tighten uh, because that thing that that person did just comes back into your mind. Or it could be the subtle darkness of apathy. That all that stuff that I said that was an obvious darkness, you sort of sat there and went, it just happens, doesn't it? It's just the way the world is. That actually something has hardened in your heart and it doesn't really affect you in the way that you probably know it should. And so I wonder whether God wants to speak into these subtle darknesses in our lives this morning. So I guess it's a challenge to be really honest with ourselves. And the reason uh, I think this needs to be addressed... um, is, I guess, best explained in an illustration. Um, So I'm delighted with the weather. Oh, I'm so happy with the sunshine. And I'm really pleased that it's getting lighter in the evenings. One of the things uh, that I need to do when I get back from work is walk the dog. And um, my dog is kind of white, so it's hard to lose him, which is good when the lights are dark. This is my dog here. And um, I, I go out and I walk him, and I walk him for about 20 to 25 minutes, and then I'll come back into my house. And when I come back into my house, I switch on the porch light, and my eyes are kind of in shock. They have to adjust to the light. Because when I set out walking the dog, when I set out on my journey, it wasn't that dark. But actually, I walked that journey for long enough that it got darker and darker. And because I was acclimatized to it, I didn't realize. And it wasn't until a light came on that I realized how dark it had got. And I think this morning, when we are talking about Jesus being the light of the world, it is holding up a light against the subtle darknesses in our lives. And God going, do you know what? We really need to expose these because you don't realize how dark this has got. So Jesus um, says, I am the light of the world. This is a huge, huge, huge statement. If you were here last week, you would have heard that Leon um, talked into the significance of Jesus saying, I am, even as the start of the sentence. That um, to the people listening to this in the temple where Jesus says it, this would have heard like bells ringing. Because in the Old Testament, when God said to, him, um, said to his people his name, he said, I am who I am. And so in Jesus even saying, I am the light of the world, he's already within his first two words claiming that he is God. And that's pretty huge, just to start off with. Like if I stood up here and did that, I don't think I'd be asked to speak again. It's a big thing. But then to go on to say, I am the light of the world has a whole other thing behind it. Um, In the Old Testament, which is the first half of the Bible, um, there's there's these people called prophets and God said things to them. They were really good at listening. And uh, God said things to them about the person or the being that he was going to send to save the world, to sort all the mess out, to put things right. And uh, one of the things that he says to this prophet called Isaiah um, is about light. He says two things, both um, in the 40s, 42 and 49. Isaiah 40, chapter 42 and Isaiah chapter 49. And the first one is he said, he will be a light to the nations. That he will be a, the light of the world. The second thing that uh, they say about him is that he will be a light to the Gentiles. So everybody who isn't Jewish. So these people have stood there and they'll know this stuff. They were good with their Bibles. And so they would have heard this and they would have known it. And they would have gone, he is claiming to be God. He is claiming to be the saviour, the light of the world. But he's also saying that this isn't about us anymore. When he says the light of the world, he literally means everyone. And I think that's really important for us to hear this morning because I wonder whether it's the subtle darkness that I've just mentioned or the other kinds of darkness that I'm going to talk about in a second, whether we get to a point where we think 
God can't be light in this. Now that could be to do with you think you're too young for God to move. You're too old for God to move in a situation. The situation's too dark. That you're not even sure if you believe in God anyway. So why would he? Um, you're not a good Christian. You're a little bit naughty. And so actually, God wouldn't move. God couldn't be a light here. But God says, I am the light of the world. That's the whole world. That's everyone in the world. And that is you. And so this morning, I don't want you to sit there and write yourself off. Because God is speaking to all of us. And this is true of all of us, no matter how dark some darknesses may seem. Um, If we could have that picture of my dog back up, I think this is the inevitable point that most of you who know me knew was coming, that my dog was going to be shown during this service. Um, This is Archie. Uh, He is my dog. And this uh, is a picture of him because people seem to like him. Now, I genuinely know that people come around my house sometimes, not to see me or Andy, but to see our dog. People genuinely like my dog more than they like me. Uh, This in front of him... It's a Christmas card that he was sent by a family in this church. Um, You may be sitting there, roll your eyes, think it's a bit pathetic. Just to warn you, he has received more than one Christmas card from families in this church. So just be careful who you say it to. Uh, That brought me a lot of joy. Archie was delighted. It's great. I don't know why people think my dog is so much better than me. But um, when I I was speaking to a friend the other day, and they were like, yeah, I really like your dog. He has character. Now, if you say that about anything, everyone knows what you mean. Oh, they've got character. Now, um, Leon, at the beginning of the service, showed the devotional books that we've been handing out and working on. They're amazing, by the way. Uh, And I took my I Am devotional home last Sunday. And by Monday night, my devotional book looked like this. My dog has character, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, One of the things that he does and he likes to do is to watch television. Now, I can hear myself saying this. I know what I'm saying and I know how I sound. But my dog and I were watching Crufts. And um, Archie really loves the television, particularly animals. And he will really get involved when animals are on screen. And you can imagine his delight at the agility course in Crufts. So he was like chasing these dogs around the television. He puts his little paws up on the um, sort of thing that you put the television on. I don't know what that name is. And he put his paws on, he licks the screen and he noses the screen. And that particular evening, he got dog food on the screen. And... um, You can imagine the state of my television, because I watch a lot of animal programs, and it's disgusting. To be honest with you, it's really horrible, but, you know, in the name of trying to be civilised, I pick the dog food off, I try and wipe the nose prints away, and I think I'm doing okay. But my television is in a bay window, and when the light shines in through that window and lights up the television... The filth that I can see. And I look at it and I think, Laura, you are disgusting. (laughs) It's horrible. But it's not until the light shines on that television that I really realise how dirty it is. You see, I could happily live with no light being on that television and never knowing. But actually, I'm not getting the very best out of that television when I do that. And so I look at it and I think, Laura, you're disgusting. This situation's really bad. But actually, that mess has always been there. It's not that all of a sudden the situation's got worse. It was always bad. I can just now see how bad it is. And I think for some of us this morning, as we're thinking about dark times that we're going through, maybe these um, subtle darknesses, actually it's not that by God shining his light on this, it's all of a sudden bad. It's always been bad. It's always been dark. It's always been difficult. But God's saying, let me show you this so that we can begin to sort it out. Um, If that were all I was sharing with you guys this morning, 
that would probably be challenge enough for me. But I believe that God has a lot more in this passage than just that. Um, And in order to do that, uh, in order to show you that, we need some of the context. So can we, um, I'm going to read the Bible verse to you uh, again. So it's actually from John 8, uh, verse 12. So it's in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. And it says this. I might just look at the screen, it's a lot easier. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So Jesus says this, and uh, he says it in the temple. Now, uh, this is chapter 8, as I just said. If you go back to chapter 7, these these two chapters kind of happen. It gives you a timeline through it. And it says at the beginning of chapter 7 that they're just about to have the festival of shelters, um, or the Feast of the Tabernacles, depending. We're going with shelters this morning, because it's an easy word to say. Uh, So this um, festival of shelters. And um, The reason behind that is that it celebrates, it's an annual festival that God asked the Jews to have um, to remind them of the time when they came out of slavery in Egypt. God led them through the desert and into the promised land. Uh, So this time when God provided for them, looked after them, guided them and kept them safe. So one of the things that they do in the Festival of Shelters is they literally build themselves little shelters. So they all get little dens and they make their dens and um, they eat in these. So they eat in them to remind themselves of traveling through the desert and how... um, Um, I guess it was a kind of temporary time for them. There are other themes to this festival. Um, There's a theme of water. There's a theme of kind of harvest and gratefulness for what God has provided in terms of foods and things like that. But the one that I really want to focus on this morning is that light is a huge part of this. Really, really big. So um, this here is a menorah. This is like kind of Jewish candle situation. And... um, In the temple, what they would have is massive ones of these, humongous ones of these, really, really big. And in the evenings in the temple, they would uh, set some huge ones of these up in uh, the women's court or the treasury. And they would light them and they would sing and they would dance around these all night. Uh, And it was a really big party. And there's a quote on the internet from a rabbi, uh, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. It was like, if you have not seen them partying, you have never seen a party. Like, they go for it. And uh, they do that all night, and then they they get up the next day, and they start the whole thing again and go through the whole festival situation again. And this happens for about eight days. Now, the reason that they do this is to remind themselves of the time in the desert when God guided the Jewish people, God guided the Israelites, that during the day, although they were seemingly lost in this desert, God showed himself and guided guided them as a cloud of light, and then at night as a pillar of fire. So this is, I guess, to remember that time when God was a light to them and guided them through a really difficult situation. So um, they they do this and they light it up, and the whole, this the menorahs, they, they light up the entire temple. It's even said that the whole of Jerusalem is lit up by these things. And people party and they dance. And when Jesus makes this claim, says, I am the light of the world and if you follow me, then when Jesus says that, he actually says that the day after the festival is finished. And he says it in the court that this would have been set up in. So what he's saying to them, I am the light of the world. If um, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This is what would have come to mind. They would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because the night before, they remember the dancing, the partying, God's faithfulness. And I kind of, in my own imagination, like to imagine them sort of having someone sweeping up around them uh, from the festivities the night before. 
But this would have been so significant. And I think uh, it's easy to say that God guided these people by light, that God was their light, God guided them through situations, but I don't think it's necessarily that easy. Uh, I'd like to read to you from Exodus chapter 13. So that's in it's the second book of the Bible, right near the front in the Old Testament. Uh, and I'm going to read, it's going to be on the screen, so don't worry if you don't have a Bible. Um, it's chapter 13, verses 17 to 22, and it says this. When when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus, the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. um, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you, and when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. The Israelites left Succoth and camped to Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided a light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night and the Lord did not remove that pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. You know, I actually think that this is really difficult because as I've written this, I've thought more about that situation. That if you're the Jewish people, you've been kept in slavery for years and you've been waiting for this time when God's going to bring freedom and breakthrough and he does and it's incredible. And God says, I want you to follow me. And so these, this nation says, yes, we will follow you, we'll commit to that. And God says, okay, I want you to take everything. You need to follow me with everything you have. You're not going back. This is all your eggs in one basket sort of situation. So the Israelites go, great, I love to follow you. Let's get everything and give you everything and follow you and in their minds I can't help but think they must have thought that they were going along the shortest and simplest road through the Philistine territory that at that time they're going and that's the way that God's going to take us and all of a sudden when they've committed to following God they realize that he's not taking them the way that they thought it didn't quite turn out the way that they thought it would and they find themselves in a desert and they probably don't really get why You see, God knew that that's what they needed. But actually for them, they were expecting something very, very different when they agreed to follow. And so they go through the desert and they've got all their stuff and their baggage and they're going, God, I'm following you, God, I'm following you. And all of a sudden, as if the desert wasn't bad enough, they get to the Red Sea and God goes, right, now we're going there. Now, if I was them, I'd have been well annoyed at that situation because I'd have felt like, God, I've given everything, I've picked up everything, I've followed you, you've taken me to this stinking desert and now we're at a sea, okay? I have got everything here and the one thing I have left is my life and you now want me to put that in your hands and take me through that water. This is not what I signed up for. I thought we were going along that road. And I wonder how many of us, when we say, you know, we'll follow Jesus and Jesus talks about, you know, follow me and you will have the light of life. What we expected was that easy, simple road that we had planned out. And then God knows, I knew that wasn't what you needed. And so I took you this way. And then we got to the sea. And I asked a little bit more of you. Will you follow me even there? And they did. And they got through. 
And I'm sure it wasn't easy and pleasant. I'm sure it smelled of fish. But they got through. And you know what? God knew that they needed that way. And he knew what was on the other side of that. That eventually they reached that promised land. And it was incredible. And we're still selling the stories today. But for them in that situation, that must have been so hard. Um, I just want to quickly read again uh, the bottom verses. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud and he provided the light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night and the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. You know, when you commit to follow God and he says, you know, I will give you the light of life. He doesn't mean and we're going to go the way you want and it's going to work out how you think it's going to work out. What he says is I will provide that light in front of you. I will provide a pillar for you to follow, whether it's day or whether it's night, whether it's through the sea or whether it's through the desert, and that will not move from in front of you, but you need to follow. And I think some people here may be going through a really tough time, and it might even be that you're going, do you know what, yes, I feel like I'm in that desert place, yes, I feel like I'm on the edge of that sea, but actually, I can't see that pillar anymore. I've completely lost sight of where that cloud or that pillar of fire is. I see no light here. And you know, it's at that point, it's so important you're part of a church community. Whether you follow Jesus or not, at that point, you can get people around you who you know can hear God and can see God and go, what is God doing here? Because I certainly can't work it out. That's when people stand alongside you. That's when people come next to you and go, this is what God's doing. Let me help you carry your stuff. Let me journey with you. And together, we'll get through what's going on. And so maybe this morning for some of you, you feel you're in that desert place and you feel like you're walking through that darkness. And rather than the subtle darkness that I talked about before, actually the darkness you're facing is very real. It's very much around you and you just need to see where God's light is in this. But I think there's another challenge here as well this morning. Just the one more. You see, in uh, John 8, uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But... In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, what I like about this is the second verse. Uh, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Now, if you think about this, if you think about what Jesus originally said, the whole thing about the menorah and the temple and the light and the festival and the partying, then when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, that cannot be separated from this situation where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And this represents all that this festival is about. The two things can't be split. And I think sometimes God guides us through darkness, but I believe sometimes God guides us into darkness so that we can shine. Um, On Wednesday night, I was in uh, Resound with some of those guys, these guys that sat around, and uh, I overheard someone say something to someone, don't get nervous. Um, Someone said, oh yeah, don't worry about it, he's just good at everything. Now, I have never had that said about me, that I am good at everything. And there is a really good reason for that. Some of you might be those kind of people. That is not me. There are some things which I am awful at. And I can't hide the fact that I'm awful at them, even though I try. There's some things I'm rubbish at. And there's some things I'm good at. I'm fairly self-aware. One of the things that I am good at, like really good at, is making very simple situations incredibly complicated. I have a gift for it. Um, Leon mentioned that I recently uh, left working uh, with FaZe, but uh, 
<laughs> I was regularly reminded of my first week at FaZe when I was confronted with the paper shredder. Now, I've worked in offices before. Uh, I can only assume that their recycling policy was less shredding-based or that the shredder was, I don't know, friendlier. But I, I remember during my first week, I had this massive piece of paper that needed shredding. And so I stood in front of the shredder in the office. I was like, okay, come on, Laura, you can do this. You can do this. And I thought, right, what frame of reference have I got for big things into littler things? I thought, photocopiers. So I thought, you know, when you photocopy something and you can photocopy it from like A5 to A3 and it gets bigger. I was like, right, what I'm looking for is a button to do with changing paper size. So I'm looking at the shredder. I'm thinking, where's this button? Where's this? I can't see a button there. Nothing happens. I'm like, okay, 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 it's something else. It's another thing. Think of something else. Think of something else that works in this context. And I thought, I know what they need to make. They need to make the slot on the top bigger so you can adjust the size. So I'm then looking at the top, looking at where the paper's supposed to go, and going, surely this like shrinks or grows or something. I gave this shredder a good amount of attention. I would say there was, there was a good few minutes of study of this paper shredder. And um. I thought, oh, I can't work this out. This is so embarrassing. I'm going to have to ask. So I turned around, and Pete Allen was stood there. And many of you guys will know Pete. The person you want in a crisis. And uh, he walked up to me, took the piece of paper off me, ripped it in half, and put it through the shredder. What can I say? I am brilliant at making things that are very simple, incredibly complicated. And then... I think that we look at a verse like, uh, you are the light of the world, and you think, oh my gosh, where do we even start with that? That is absolutely huge. And um, I do believe that some of you guys have been put in positions of influence, um, important positions, positions of power. Um, Maybe some of you have been given quite specific characters to make huge differences in dark areas and dark situations. And I think it is so important to be a good steward of that because that is a calling that God has put on your life. Also, and or, I think it's not as complicated as that. Um, (coughs) If I think about what does it mean to look like light in darkness, if I'm honest, All the good examples I could think of came from the young people in this church. Um, Now, before they get big heads, they mess up a lot. Uh, They get stuff wrong. They do stuff they shouldn't do. Many of you guys are parents of them. You know this. Uh, There's stuff they're not great at. But do you know what? They really try and be light in darkness. Um, Situations where there are young people in the community that they know aren't loved and aren't well looked after. So they bring them to youth club and they know that if they leave them alone, they're not going to fit in. So even though it doesn't necessarily enhance their evening, they stick by that young person and don't leave them so that they feel included. Um, They fall out with friends and say, what is the best way to resolve this? I know that someone's saying X. What's the best way to resolve this in a godly way that means our friendship will still be healthy? That there are young people who have a heart for poor people and then so will feed homeless people uh, and pay and go and buy them chips and give them to them. Um, that they're thinking about their careers and what they want to do and asking questions about what does Jesus want to say into this industry? How do I make a difference there? Uh, just being really honest about who they are. Going, do you know what? I've got a real problem in this area and I need some help with it. And it's that subtle darkness stuff, but going, do you know what? I'm going to expose this because I want to follow Jesus. And I know in order to follow him better, this needs to be be talked about. 
Young people that will stand up to people and confront them when actually maybe those people should know better, but they fight for fairness and they fight for justice in that situation anyway. It's not rocket science. It really isn't. And these guys are incredible and they are amazing and they do make mistakes and they do get stuff wrong. But they've realised something, that actually it's all about following. You see, what happens is that a lot of those guys have made a commitment to follow Jesus. Um, If you take stuff away from this morning, one of the things I'd love you to take away is that in the time of Jesus, there was not electricity. There were not light bulbs. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, please don't think about this. When Jesus talks about the light of the world, he was talking about candles. That's kind of, unless... You know, there was some incredible invention that I didn't know about. This was it. You be the light of the world. And the way that that light transfers is through proximity. So you've got a candle. You put it close to the main candle and the light catches. And that's what it means to follow. So the closer that we follow Jesus, the more that we say, God, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know about who you are, what you love, what you hate, the things that you're passionate about. The more that we spend time with Jesus and and get to know who God is, that light catches. And so when we commit to follow, we commit to say, do you know what? This subtle darkness, I know that there's issues going on in my life that I'd really rather keep quiet, but I know they need exposing so that they can be sorted out. God, I'm going to be honest about them. It might be um, to say, you know, to follow is to say, God, I'm committed to following you of everything, whether it's through road or desert or sea, I'm in. And it's not easy, and I might complain, but I'm in. But in all of that, whether it's being a light in the darkness, it's about proximity to God and following, but not just following, following so closely that that light catches. And so uh, I guess this morning... uh, I want to challenge you guys, I guess, in three very different ways. Um, it's kind of a threefold response. Uh, first of all, there's this nice sort of candle over here with a black stand. And this candle is going to represent that subtle darkness, that maybe thing that you could keep quiet. And some of you guys are sitting there now going, please don't make me say anything about what I'm thinking about. And we're not going to ask you to say anything. I'm going to hand you a microphone or anything. Um, But what I'm going to do is, in a bit, I'm going to ask anybody who feels like they've got that subtle darkness in their lives, unforgiveness, apathy, addiction, um, selfishness, greed, all those kind of things, to just come and gather around this candle. And no one's going to ask you or interview you about what you're here for. You don't need to worry. It's just kind of making that step to go, God, this is my first step towards exposing it. This is my first step towards you switching this light on because I know that you're pushing something. So that's going to come and you're going to come and stand around this one. This one here, the silver candle, it's kind of about that darkness in the desert place and saying, you know what, I committed to follow God, but I really don't get where he's taking me right now. And to be honest, I'm really struggling to see a light in this situation. And so for those of you who who are maybe struggling with that, and the darkness just seems a bit too dark to be able to cope with at the moment, to come and gather around this candle. And the one on the brown wooden stand over there, that's about you guys who maybe are thinking, I know that God wants me to be a light in a really dark place at the moment. It might be in your family, it might be your friends, it might be work, it might be the social justice issue that you know God has put on your heart, but you're not quite sure what to do with that passion. Um, 
I would love you to come and stand around this candle. Uh, but what we're going to do first, in a sec, because I'm not going to do it now, we're going to all stand up and I'm going to pray for you. And we're just going to wait on God, because I think sometimes in that moment, God can just touch something that we're maybe not quite expecting. So um, if you guys would all stand, if you're able, that would be fantastic. And we're just going to wait for a sec. Um, the reason that we do this is just to see if we hear God speak into something while we're waiting quietly. Uh, it's not weird. It's not freaky. It's just to say, God, what are you saying? Because I've been talking a lot, so it's really good to listen. Father God, I thank you that you are the light of the world, the whole world. And God, I thank you that darkness is simply the absence of light. So, Father, we invite your light into our darkness this morning. And, God, I pray that you would just touch on something in our hearts, that you'd really just begin to to identify in us what it is that you're wanting to do this morning. So, Father, as we just wait and listen, I pray that you would help us to hear. that's going to happen now is I'm just going to pray for you Um, and I'd really love it if you're comfortable and you haven't moved out of your seat if you pray with me for these guys because we're a family and we stand with these guys in what they've come forward for so if you're comfortable praying while I pray that would be really brilliant God I thank you so much for these guys that have stepped forward thank you for their courage and I thank you so much for their commitment to what it is that they've moved forward for Father God, I just want to pray specifically over this this first group, God, that uh, thank you, God, that there is no guilt in you. Father God, that there is no condemnation in you, that you love these guys so much. And if anything, I really feel that God is saying, I have waited for so long for you to come forward about this. And God's delighted and he cannot wait to get to work on some of these issues and some of this stuff. So Father God, um, I just pray uh, that you will be with these guys that there'll be real freedom in this as well and that this will be a bookmark day to say, do you know what, things changed from that point. Father God, uh, I pray for the group in the middle. Lord Jesus, uh, I pray that you would whisper assurance in their ear that you are journeying with them. Father God, I pray that in this desert you would bring people around them to support them and guide them and help them and point out where you are. Father God, I pray you would give them strength for the journey. God, you would give them everything that they need and Father, I pray that nothing would allow them to give up. God, I pray for protection over them. And God, I pray that there'll be a real sense of you revealing that light and that pillar in front of them this morning. And God, um, I pray for the guys on the end, the guys who are just crying out to be light in darkness. Father, I pray that there will be a new proximity in their relationship with you, a real new closeness, that Father God, you would break their heart and you would give them wisdom. Wisdom in the complicated ways of being light in darkness and in the really simple ways. Father God, I pray you give them patience. I pray you give them the right words to say at the right time. God, I pray that you'll fill their hearts with love when it's really hard to love. So God, I pray that you would draw them close to you, you would light them, and you would just let them burn. Father, I pray that they would see light and breakthrough in their situations. 
So God, I pray this morning that this will be a starting point. This will be the beginning of change. And God, we ask your light to continue to shine. And I thank you that it is a light that never goes out. Amen.